Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy. so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast, brought to you by the team behind BikeRadar.com, Cycling Plus, and MBUK magazines. If you enjoy this episode, please subscribe. And if you can do so, leave us a rating on your podcast provider of choice. It really helps us reach other cyclists like you. Hello, welcome to the Bike Radar Podcast. My name is Tom Marvin, Senior Technical Editor here at BikeRadar.com and at MBUK magazine as well. Joining me in today's podcast is Luke Marshall, one of our technical writers. How's it going, Luke? Yeah, I'm all good. Thanks, Tom. Very well. Excellent stuff. And also Rob Weaver, who is our technical editor-in-chief. How's it going, Rob? I'm good, thanks, Tom. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. Yeah, not too bad at all. Uh, Dying for a second coffee of the morning, if I'm honest. Uh, But it's because there's a caffeine addiction going on and I need a little pep up. But we're all good because there's going to be a podcast and that always gets me excited. How many Uh, coffees can you get through in a day or do you get through in a day? Uh, I try and limit post three o'clock. So I reckon I could do four if I really want to feel nervous. Um, but it's, <laughs> it's usually, definitely need two, occasionally three, especially if there's free coffee pods in the office uh, when I just can't help myself. Um, but yeah, that's how many, three or four. Nice. Right, Rob, what have you been doing recently? What have I been doing? Uh, well, it's all glamour, isn't it, in our in our lives, uh, as people are about to find out when we talk about this stuff in the podcast. But yeah, recently testing kit bags. So cool. um, nothing too strenuous um, or massively exciting. Uh, in fact, you know what? My son was so disappointed when and he's like, Dad, I thought you just rode bikes. He's <laughs> like, uh, yeah, no. He's like, well, what are you doing? I was like, well, I've got to test bags as well. Why? Why are you doing that? That looks boring. All right. <laughs> so, I mean, yeah. it's a fair it's a fair question, but I think bag, I'm a bit of a a bag hound. I love a bag, so I'm actually a little bit jealous of your test drop because yeah, 
you know, you've got to love a good bag. When you realise, when you do, when you do have to travel, and you realise how much easier decent luggage makes your life, mm. it you know, it it genuinely, if you have a you have a crappy bag that just doesn't work that well, worst is yeah, bike bags, a crap mm. bike bag. If you're doing multiple transfers and all of that, all of a sudden you just like you end up, you know, at the gate in a sweaty mess because you've had to drag a bike in a bag or the wheels have fallen off it or, you know, some of one of them doesn't turn or they just every time it hits a small, you know, a dinky little bump, it just falls over, yeah. clatters into some poor, unassuming person trying to you know, <laughs> get their flight. You're just taking them down. So, yeah, I, I, I'm totally with you. Much to the disappointment of my four-year-old son. <laughs> You've got a Thule round-trip bag, I think, in that test, which um, I had a little go with uh, in November. It's quite fun. It's got like lo- lots of little pockets inside the main compartment for one pair of pants and a sock <laughs> and maybe a sunglasses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Some of them have got some quite sort of interesting quirks. One of the biggest things I've found, though, um, and I don't know whether this is an age thing, and it's similar on riding packs, is... Uh, Brands insistent on making the inside. They'll put a lining in, but they'll they'll put a a black lining inside oh. a huge bag, and then all of a sudden you realise you can't find. You know, with me especially, I've got so much black kit, can't ever find mm. anything you need. And even though you swear to God you put your favourite pair of gloves in there, gone, never see them again. Lost yeah. somewhere within that ninety liters of storage. The black hole. Your favourite pair of gloves should be should be white, shouldn't they, Robin? Should have no problem. They should. Why should they be white? Because I'm a magician. <laughs> you love Michael Jackson. <laughs> no. Yeah, but um, but no. The best riding gloves are always white. Maybe this is where I've gone wrong for so many years. <laughs> is it? Oh. That and lots of other things. Um, <laughs> but sure, maybe maybe it's maybe 2024 is the year I'll turn it round, get some white gloves, and things will start going my way. White gloves and white shoes. We've just made testing bags sound really interesting and fun. They were, they, we've turned it around. Just um, play this bit of the podcast to your son and then he'll, he'll understand. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Luke, what have you been testing recently? Has it been quite as exciting as Rob's um, carry bags? Nothing exciting as uh, Rob's bags, no. And uh, <laughs> I recently took delivery of my 2024 long-term test bike. Uh. Uh, this year I've got the Giant Rain Advanced 1. Mm-hmm. their base model carbon fiber new rain and uh i've been putting a few days on that lately and uh yeah getting along really well with it it's uh it's an impressive piece of kit i really enjoyed this drive i had last year so uh the, the rain had like big boots to fill and uh yeah. i think it's uh yeah, i think we're going to get on all right with it it's, uh, cool it's a capable bike what's Can the I just what's ask the... what setting you've got it in so, sorry tom oh no no i i, I rode it in the mid setting for the okay. first couple of rides, and then yeah. put it in low, and chance that I keep it in low. It's slack, isn't it? It's I mean, low is oh, yeah. low on that bike. Yeah, it's like it's really cool. Three degrees, but the, the I mean, the Canyon again was a sixty-three degree head angle bike. It had like a mm. three thirty mil ball and bracket, like super low for a long travel mm. bike, and and that's what I was comfortable on. So I just put the uh, the Giant in the lowest setting, and uh, and off I go. I'd be happy with that. Nice. nice. It's good that you can adjust that. You know I mean, it's, it does have the three settings, mm. and so uh, it does add some versatility to it. Easy to swap. What's the what's the basic set, uh, spec on that then? Is it like a mechanical group and a rhythm fork, or is it sort of a bit more? 
Uh, no, so it comes with a Zeb Select Fork, and it comes mm-hmm. with a Rock Shock Deluxe Select Shock. Um, so it doesn't have a piggyback shock on it, so it's an inline shock. But I was surprised for how capable that shock is. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's pretty decent. Uh, it comes with a mix of SRAM, Dior, and SLX drive chain with uh, Shimano, Dior, sorry, uh, SLX and uh, yeah, the Dior kind of components matched together. Mm-hmm. It has the MT520 brakes from Shimano as well. Yeah. Um, and then giant components for wheels, Saddle seat post bar stem, all the finishing kit. Maxis Maxis tires. Maxis tires, yeah. Um, it does have a Exoterra Asagai. Oh no, what I know, I can't get my words out. Exo Plus Max Terra Asagai in the front, which I would prefer the Max Grip. If I'm honest, like on the bike mm. parks where it's a kind of gravelly, yeah. rough surfaces, that Terra that front tire is fine. But when it's been in the woods and in a bit wetter, damper conditions, the max tire on the front just isn't quite as uh, as grippy as the tire I was running on this drive. So mm. I probably will swap that at some point. Nice. Sounds like a good one. Yeah. What about you, Tom? Yeah, really solid piece of kit. Well, I've been finishing off the build of my long-term bike, uh, which is a Yeti SB120. Um, so I wanted a shorter travel, fun trail bike this year because... At the end of last year, I was testing the Manitou Matic Pro Fork mm. um, in 140mm guys, which I just really, really liked. So instead of going down the route of finding a frame and then building around the frame, I found a fork and then building around the fork. So I thought a shorter travel, sort of kind of down country trail bike, light-ish build uh, would just be like quite a, a nice bike to ride this year. Um, so I'm building nice. that with a load of parts that... Obviously, some of them are mainstream, so I've, I've pulled over the transmission from that I was testing on my long-term bike last year just to sort of make sure that I give it a thorough, thorough sort of ride over the course of like 18 months to, mm-hmm. you know, as long as I can on transmission. Um, so it will be running uh, that, which is obviously lovely to ride. Um, but I'm going to modify that a little bit with the older paddle shifter from the older Access because I prefer the ergonomics. Um and then I'll be riding a pair of race face wheels that I tested uh, late last year that I really liked. And I'm running the Hayes Dominion brakes. Uh, mm, I'm nice. put those on. Again, it's great sort of testing loads of different brakes, um, but it's really easy to sort of um, gravitate towards the likes of Shimano and SRAM. So I thought this year I'm going to try and make sure that I use products that are still good, but from brands that maybe aren't like the most mainstream. Yeah, so, uh, good show. Yeah. It'll be a nice, it'll be a lovely bike. Um, and I'm going to maybe try and not change too many things this year. And I'll make sure that I'm getting real consistent time on one bike uh, with mm-hmm. one set of kit. Um, but I also have a Ragley Bigwig hardtail, which is going to be really useful for testing loads of components this year as well. So, yeah, uh, I'm not going nice. to write about the Bigwig, but I am going to ride it a lot. Nice. Exciting times. There we go. Because testing, and this is a great sort of slightly awkward segue. Lovely. (laughs) Um, Testing is the topic of our podcast today that you might have seen from the title of our podcast. So we decided that we would do a podcast on some of the products that are hard to test. Now, this isn't a a cry for help 
um, or a, a request for any sympathy because obviously um, we're super lucky to be able to test loads of products. But it's kind of interesting, you know, the testing process is something we've talked a little bit about in the past on the podcast. But it's fair to say that some products, some group te- sets, uh, sorry, some group tests are easier and harder than others. So we thought we'd just talk through some of the ones that are a little bit trickier to do to give you a bit of insight into our little world of testing products. So to start with, Rob, I am going to start at the top of our list with a specific product because most of these are a bit more general. Mm. But Rev Grips, yes, they're quite an interesting product, and I've ridden them, and I'd agree that they're quite hard to test. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches, but there's only one McCrispy. So go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour. Want to be more active this summer? Sierra helps you save on everything from swimsuits to stand-up paddle boards, tennis rackets to fishing tackle. And if that doesn't float your boat, we also have pool floats. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now. Go! Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone because individually we're great, but together we're so much better. That's why millions of teams around the world, including 75% of the Fortune 500, trust Atlassian software. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Yes. So like everything, we always want to try and give everyone a fair crack of the whip, right? So whether that's a 20 pound pair of glasses through to a, you know, 15 grand e-bike, we want to try to do our due diligence and make sure we're going through, you know, if it's a bike, every potential setting it has to make sure we, you know, we can explore every geometry setup or the, you know, different rear suspension whatever it might be same as a fork all of these things so rev grips are if people don't know they're grips that are almost suspended and so they give you a little bit of um i, I suppose just twist right so they're they're locked onto the handlebar but the actual grip itself can move backwards and forwards very slightly just rotating on the bar you can vary that by changing um uh changing the little uh the washers and the uh, the end caps that come with it in order to alter how much it moves or doesn't. And so for a start, they're actually quite fiddly. I don't know, Tom, if you took them apart to mm. to tweak how how much they move, but it's quite fiddly, I think. Yeah, like the end caps of like captive rubber, almost like not round, but kind of rubber insert washer type things into which the effective lock-on portion of the grip sit locks. T- yeah, yeah. To, to locks to give that little bit of twist and they are adjustable with different amounts of so different amounts of twists or different stiffnesses of twists so, uh, it's been a couple of years since i ran them gosh um, i can't remember it might yeah it was a long time since i did it it might be uh it might be the same amount it might be like firm and soft yeah and that sort of spectrum so they're easier to move rather than moving more maybe yeah that, yeah so yeah they are they are pretty fiddly i mean also it's it's in theory, once you've settled on um, a setting, they're a kind of a fit and forget, you know. So yeah. you're not going to be doing this on the regular. But getting no, them set was sort of was definitely on the uh, slightly more involved than slipping a, a regular lock-on grip onto the onto your handlebars. I think the thing that 
found tricky about the rev grips was more like when when we're testing quite often obviously back to back testing is like super important for what we do because it tries to help remove variables and one thing that we quite often do if we're testing say shoes or gloves or grips is you put two different ones on either side of your handlebars or different glove or a different shoe but obviously when you're riding a rev grip it, they, they do have a, a fairly unique sensation in that the grip twists on the bar and the idea is that it helps reduce um high frequency bursts so it helps prevent hand pump and, and hand pain it just makes everything a little bit more comfortable but obviously if you've got one grip that's not twisting and one grip that is twisting it's a little bit off-putting when you're riding yeah and and obviously the way we do it we you know we'll kind of we'll start with a setting change 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 but then revert back to that original setting at the end to try mm. to work out you know differences that we found along the way um and so keeping one as a control in say either, you know, the, maybe like the middle setting and then using the other one and exploring the different options on, uh, in, in terms of adjustment on, on the other side of the handlebar is the, the way I approached it. But, um, yeah, um, I think the reason I, I added these to the list was just, I remember it was a really cold day at the bike park and I was trying to go through every single <laughs> different washer variation I could think of so I and then making sure I was doing the same exactly the same run exactly the same lap and because of what it is that they're intended to do as you said to try to reduce that you end up riding some of the roughest tracks mm. possible and having to repeat that over and over again and be as consistent as possible it makes it quite tricky and it's quite hard to trying to find those really sort of subtle differences mm. and I had to in the end I had to do it over a number of days. So I rode with them in the middle setting on both sides of the bars for months. And then when I was trying to drill down on the details, it was uh, a few days just doing back-to-back -back runs on a couple of different really rough tracks at the bike park and um, having cold hands trying to swap those little washers <laughs> out, not drop any bolts. That's that's why I've included them here. And, and as I said, the differences are subtle. And yeah. I mean, I came away impressed. That's, mm. I think, probably the, you know, the biggest takeaway is that um, I, I did like using them, but at the same time, they're really expensive compared yep. to a soft compound, decent lock-on grip. Um, so it's one of those things, it's, it's sort of, um, you're trying to look for those potential advantages or disadvantages, bearing in mind the value for money. So then having to revert back to a standard pair of grips to try to sum up, you know, if you come away going, okay, yeah, actually in that particular setting, whatever it might be, I can feel a difference. It does make a difference. My hands feel fresher at the top bottom of the run. Um, on, after a long day of doing, you know, that, but then I need to go back and make sure I've done that with a regular set of grips just to see actually, do you know what? I've got the best set of soft compound grips that cost a fraction of the price, maybe 20% mm. and I'm having almost, you know, my hands maybe hurt a tiny bit more, yeah. but I've saved a bunch of money. So it's, it's some of these things are really, really tough to marginal. Yeah. A... Try, try to drill down on that stuff and then summarize it for a magazine, especially in a couple of hundred words. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a lot of work to, to produce a small amount of content. <laughs> on a similar sort of marginal gains or not note. Um, last year, I was testing a headset bearing, a single bearing, 
um, doing some back-to-back stuff uh, on my gravel bike, actually. So it was a, a regular headset bearing, and then um, there's like a, a slightly damped one, so a bit like a Hopi steering damper, a little bit not like Kiss on the, you know the spectrals and the, the Canyon things, but like a bearing that is harder to spin to help calm down like the the sort of the frequency chatter of your wheel going over like a, a gravel track, just sort of calm the steering down a little bit. Yeah. So I remember I was out, you know, I'd ridden it quite a bit um, for a few months, you know, partly to sort of test like, I guess, longevity. Does it, did it rust up? Did it sort of cope with, you know, UK winter gravel or UK sort of unpleasant conditions gravel? And then I went out and I did some back-to-back testing on various different sections of trail with a regular headset bearing. So I was there like handlebars off, headset in bits, <laughs> replace the bearing, handle, you know, all this sort of stuff getting covered in oil. But um, I think the thing with those like tests where, you know, they are tricky, like there's no getting away from, you know, you're feeling for like super nuanced differences or there's a bit of faff going on with them. But quite often they are really interesting tests to do. And, and they're, they're very like, satisfying when you, yeah, can totally. actually, when you actually feel like you've um, achieved something, whether that's not spotting any differences at all or whether it is discovering something that you maybe, I, I don't know, looked over in the past. It's mm. a very satisfying process if you kind of stick to it diligently. Mm. It's like I said, it's um, maybe not the easiest thing to do, but mm-hmm. when it comes to what you know our jobs are, being able to to come away from something and go, you know, being confident in your findings is a really nice feeling. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so moving on to sort of more group test type stuff. Um, one area where maybe there are sort of actually some quite marked differences. You know, where there are marked differences, it actually, you know, in some ways it's it's a bit easier. But then you sometimes fall into the trap of the amount of faff that goes on with testing. Now, Luke, you have been over the last few years doing a lot of suspension fork testing, um, which I'm sure is, you know, super interesting, loads of interesting details to find out and lots of great riding to be done. But the inadvertent commas admin of testing forks is how is that? How is it? Oh blimey. That's what we're saying. <laughs> <laughs> fork testing is, yeah, love-hate relationship. It's it's brilliant to get, you know, some of the latest and greatest products and put them on the front of your bike and go and head off to the roughest trails you could find and blast down them and try and give everything a good thrashing. You know, that, that's great. But there's, with high-end forks, a lot of adjustability on them. Uh, to get them set up can be a bit of a chore, but it's kind of, I've, we have a pretty good base setting for most folks these days. Um, but then it's the time-consuming bit is not only swapping a fork out if you, well, when you have to, but is testing all the dials to see how much, you know, a click of high-speed compression changes the feeling of the fork mm. or a click of low-speed compression or the rebound, you know, and, and, uh, and it can, you can be there on the trail on the same bit of trail that's like 20, 30 seconds long, and uh, just push up, ride down, push up, ride down, push up, ride down, doing click here, click there. And if you've got, you know, high speed, low speed compression, high speed, low speed rebound, and you're trying to find out, like, how much two clicks changes the feel of the fork, it, it's, uh, yeah, it can uh, be somewhat tedious. And then, you know, you fortunately, I figured out how to strap three pairs of forks to my backpack so I can ride into the woods with three pairs of forks on my back and hide them under a log somewhere and... Uh, and I think in the woods, I've probably got, I could probably change a fork in a 
under five minutes, I think, just with a couple of Allen keys, just popping my bike up against the tree. So I got pretty efficient at that these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's uh, there's a lot of nuances in forks. And, and also just like when you get a new fork, a product you haven't used before, like not setting up or the setup of a different brand of forks, it can be quite different to another one or another brand. So it time takes just to read the manual, make sure you're doing everything correctly, the order in which you might inflate uh, air spring cartridges or uh, is different. So um, you know, fork testing is yeah, a different love hate relationship. It's a uh, it's not a quick product to test. Mm-hmm. Sometimes if you're short on time, it can be a bit stressful. You're like, okay, I've try, got to try and get all this done. How am I going to fit that in? And uh, and then you've just got to be really familiar with the trails you're on. You know, you just pick a location. Okay, I know this trail is going to have a couple of hard compressions. It's got some off-camber route sections. It's got some unsupported turns. Everything that you think, okay, how how's, how can I put this fork best to the test, if you know what I mean? Sometimes you're lucky and you can just go to the bike park for a day and you've got plenty of time to make the adjustments you need to. Um, but no, it's, uh, it's, it's really lucky to be able to go and test all the different forks out there. But it's, you have to make notes, you have to be methodical and uh, you've got to plan it out pretty well. Mm. The other thing in our um, prep notes is that it's hard to do in cold weather. Is oh, that because your fingers get chilly or is, that, is there something else to it? Nah, the performance of suspension forks, especially in cold weather, deteriorates. I think, you know, I think sub eight degrees, it's it's very difficult to test suspension forks there. Mm-hmm. The viscosity of the oil seems to become thicker and they slow down in their compression and rebound damping. Just the fork just never feels quite as it should during the summer months. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. feels somewhat more cumbersome and slower. Um, and then also in those times of years when the weather's cold, it's also the ta- the trails tend to be wet and uh, and soft trails, you know, then take out some of the damping. The riding speeds are a bit slower. Also, the tires behave differently compared to when they're nice and warm in the summer. The testing suspension in the cold is really difficult. Plus, you know, mm-hmm. you're a bit more numb as well. If you know, I mean, your hands might be numb, and what you feel through the bars is different. How the grips behave is different, so it can be a real, real annoyance. And um, yeah, testing suspension in cold weather, especially forks, I would say shocks is not so. Isn't so bad. I think they warm up or they heat up a lot more than a fork does, just because of the leverage and the damping on them. Um, but testing forks in cold weather is a is a chore. And yeah, I, if you can be, I don't think you can be as accurate on it as you can in warmer months. I mean, you can get good comparisons from one fork to another fork, but mm-hmm. I'm not sure you're ever getting the best performance out of the fork when it's like five degrees between zero and five yeah. degrees on the trails. Yeah. Okay. Sorry, just to jump in. What about, um, have you ever taken a bike apart there where you're like, oh, I'll use this bike to test these forks and then realize the headset doesn't have a split race oh, on there? I, get, your, nah. get your hacksaw out. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I, I learned that the hard way the first time, yeah. So now I make sure I uh, always take a split race with me. And uh, yeah, like even just the, the hassle of hammering in, if you've got like a group set of nine forks of just buying nine stuff angled nuts and hammering them into the fork you know it's just a, an hour's worth of work that is just not mm. exciting to do but you get to ride a lot that's the good but thing i do like, get to ride a lot yeah like i say yeah. it's, uh, it's a real privilege to be out there testing forks they're not they're not going to uh, moan too much as they are. but yeah. gets your head scratch get a bit of a head scratch on mm. yeah yeah it is it's uh trying to identify just the small differences between compression damping or rebound damping on the fork I mean, I'm 
I'm relatively lucky that I'm quite a light rider. Um, so often it's quite easy to find my ideal setup because I, I quite like running light compression, light rebound. So it's often that I open the dials just to begin with straight away. Mm -hmm. It generally gives a pretty good pace setting and, uh, and I've changed from there. But then, yeah, when you're just trying to do click by click to see, okay, how much uh, does each click affect performance of the fork, if you know what I mean? Mm. That it's, uh, it's a slow process. But no, it's a, it's On a similar sort of note to, to forks being, you know, very time consuming, um, but ultimately quite interesting, um, it's fair to say wheels testing is something myself and Al Evans have just been wrapping up there'll be reviews filtering onto radar very soon if not already um wheels testing is in terms of bike testing admin very very heavy on it because you obviously were quite traumatized got... by this weren't you i think oh i've done i've done a few wheels group tests and uh, they're they're hard work for a number well they're they're hard work for a number of reasons one there's a lot of riding to be done on nine pairs of wheels because you need to be testing them in lots of different conditions and all that sort of stuff but then each wheel, you know, it needs a rotor attaching to them. They, you need cassettes being fitted, uh, and they all need tires fitted and removing. Now, if you've got nine pairs, obviously what we need to do is minimise the variables. So you need the same tires on every set of wheels at the same pressures when you're testing them to make sure that when you swap between wheels, you don't um, feel the tire as much as you feel in the wheel, if that makes sense. So ideally, if you're taking out three sets of wheels, you really need three sets of identical tyres. So the same casing, the same tread, the same compound, roughly in the same condition if possible, um, and run at the same pressures. With the same so amount the, of sealant. And the same amount of sealant. So the setup for them is, you know, a bit faffy. And especially as we're doing usually nine wheels, no tyre company is going to be sending me 18 tyres, okay? So, the uh, which would be amazing. If there's any tyre companies out there who would like to do that, please, please feel free uh, next time we do the tyres test, uh, the wheels test. But um, So there's a lot of tubeless tyre swapping, which means there's a lot of sealant sloshing around. There's a lot of cassettes to change over because I also don't have nine uh, cassettes for transmission, for example. Um, I've got quite a few like regular non-transmission cassettes. So this year I did actually do my testing without transmission, did it on access, which was great. And then obviously rotors swapping backwards and forwards as well. Um, um, there's a lot have you got of a compressor? No compressor, no. Oof, it's a lot no. of pumping. That's <laughs> an awful lot of pumping, which, you know, obviously does give you some insight. You know, how easy is it to mount tyres? Really important. How easy is it for those tyres to pop up from the, um, from the well of the rim into the bead? You know, this is all relevant stuff, but... Um, when you're on your maybe your ninetieth tire inflation, <laughs> <sighs> it's uh, it's a lot of work. And then when you go testing, outs I I maintain, and I'm you know maybe I, this is an unpopular opinion within the world of professional bike testers, but out with the extremes of performance, i.e., like the most stiff or the most compliant, a lot of wheels do feel very similar. So you're trying to find those like incremental differences. Um, yeah, and it's quite it's quite hard work. On the similar note, but slightly more interesting, I find there's maybe a slip of the tongue there, but slightly more interesting is brakes testing. Yeah. Um, so again, a lot of admin to be done with those in terms of weighing, cutting hoses, rooting them through frames, bleeding them, and all that sort of stuff. But the differences, kind of like forks, I guess, the differences between them is actually really interesting because they all have a marked feel. They all perform differently, mm. um, and so brakes testing is. It's a lot of work and it is hard, but it's really super interesting, I find. One that I actually really enjoy doing. 
Well, one year, didn't we? We were that we were out and just cable tying stuff externally, weren't we? Just yeah, just to avoid. You'd already done all the cuts and the bleeds to make sure the hoses were at a decent length, and we were just cable tying stuff. Yeah. So if anyone saw us in the woods with cables flapping around, <laughs> crudely cable tied to our uh, our frames, that was uh, just yeah. trying to make life a touch easier. So one of the techniques I have for brake testing, because you know, obviously, it's great to go out riding in the woods and just smash out some laps, but consistency is really important when we're testing products. So one of the things I like to do is brake testing is is stopping this distance checks. So find us a, a straight section of road, usually because it's more consistent. And then just with the front brake, for example, I might set a marker on the road from where I'm going to start rolling in, no pedaling, set a marker on the road where I'm going to you know, jam on the front brake as hard as I can without flipping over the bars and then start measuring. So I've been out in the past with um, tape measures down the road and like measuring stopping distances, um, which in itself is like really interesting to do. It's not like super sciencey, but it gives you certainly at least a bit of an impression of how they perform in terms of power relative to each other. And also gives you a bit of a more consistent um, surface onto which it kind of helps feel those modulations and it helps make you, you know, perhaps helps feel with lever feel and stuff like that. Um, so we did used to dyno test all of them. That mm. was, we did used to do that, but it's, um, it was when Guy used to work for us, Guy Kesterman, and who's uh, a little bit closer to the Hope factory and he could go and use their, their brake dyno. Mm. So it was easier to get the numbers, but it would be great if we could bring stuff like that back. It, what was always really interesting with that is, it wasn't necessarily the most powerful brakes that always would um, win the tests. Yeah, because like you said, there's there's so many, you know, there's so much to a brake in terms of feel mm. that whether it's the most powerful or not doesn't necessarily mean it's going to translate to the best feel on the trail. No, no. So there's like a whole picture that we have to take into account when we are testing these things, and you know, the more complex there are, the more sort of things to take into that picture. But also, it does make them a little bit more interesting. So in terms of sort of those techniques, what other techniques have we developed in Ooh. our in-house, quite literally in my in my house or in your house, techniques to help make sure that when we're testing products, we do the most scientific, the most detailed orientated ones we can do. Now, I know toilet paper comes into it quite a lot, Rob. Yeah. Well, actually, do you know what? I've, I bought myself a mass, you know, those blue rolls that you see oh, in yeah. like pubs and stuff like that to clean up spillages. I've got, I've got a massive roll of blue roll. Mm-hmm. And so when testing stuff, I remember doing, it was a, it was a long time ago. I was doing, um, waterproof shorts, waterproof shorts are always a really tricky one because they're shorts at the end of the day and you're wearing them in the rain. So your legs still get wet. Mm-hmm. Water can still go up the open ends, you know, up in onto your thighs when you get splashed, mm-hmm. you know, it's not fully sealed like trousers. So, you know. You can go through the fit, the feel, whether they're, you know, wetting out around the backside and stuff like that. But it's really hard when you're riding, doing it consistently. um, It's pretty hard to do that stuff. So while I'll sort of gather as much info as I can from the rides, I'll also do stuff like we do, similar to how we do a lot of the stuff we do with waterproof shoes. So I will literally create myself a pair of paper pants that I wear <laughs> underneath the shorts. And then I will stand there with the hose pipe directly pointing at the seat of the shorts right on my ass. <laughs> and I will see if water, so I'll time it, and then I'll see if water will get through over a certain amount of time mm-hmm. in the process getting wet and cold, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, and some shorts, even after they've been worn, you know, I found that, you know, some shorts would, even after a long time, 
uh, plenty of use in the saddle and you know washes and stuff like that would still create a decent enough barrier that would effectively keep your ass dry again yeah. it's always really tricky because when you're exercising and sweating it's harder to sort of ensure mm. you know exactly what's going on whether that you're wet from sweat or whether you're wet from water ingress but this at least gives me some idea of whether yeah. the seams are sealed and you know things like that it's certainly not scientific by any stretch of the imagination <laughs> and the looks i get from my wife as and you can neighbors. imagine <laughs> yeah and the neighbors well yeah everyone just yeah I mean, we, we do a, we kind of just haven't grown up, have we? This is essentially what our, our, our jobs is messing around with bikes, dicking around <laughs> in the mud, playing with kit. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's, uh, like Luke said, it's an absolute privilege, but it does mean that to try to find those discernible differences aside from things like fit, feel, all of that, sometimes you have to think of different ways in which to do it luke's got mm. i think a similar story with um waterproof shoes yeah you use a nice bit of blue rod. i just use a bucket i've got a big tub fill it with water and uh and just stand in there put my shoes <laughs> on stand in it <laughs> i wait to see which one leaks first <laughs> so uh you know and some of them are pretty impressive i've been in there 20 minutes before and you know it's like oh my god i'm just wasting time like, are these shoes ever gonna leak I mean, so, obviously, um, you, you stood there listening to the Bike Rider podcast as you stand, right? Yeah, of course, of course. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Get my daily dose of Tom Marvin. <laughs> well, I guess it's similar to like um, the run times on lights because we measure all of that. Mm. So Al have it all set up in his garage with the fans on them and, and, you know, with the lights on full power and a stopwatch and getting everything timed away. It's, it's a time-consuming process. Yeah. I, think, uh, I think he's got some kind of like post-traumatic syndrome from doing the last few years of that now where he's I think um, he has the, the tricky thing as well I, I guess that's another part of it, it the lights especially uh, aside from the fact that it's quite obvious you know how those beams project and how they work on the trail and stuff um what a lot of people probably don't realize is that in order to make sure we're getting our reviews up on time it's when people are most likely to start looking to shop to you know to buy lights when it comes to September, early October, we're testing everything through the summer months, which means poor old Al has been just putting in the night shift. So he'll, he'll um, rest in the day and then he'll start work a good sort of like six, seven hours later than us. And he'll be hitting the trails just as it's getting dark and, and working right through the night, through the darkest hours. So he can have as much sort of ride time in the dark as possible. It's, I mean, th this is a man who is famous for going to bed at nine pm on a on a regular day. Eight, <laughs> more like eight. <laughs> <laughs> in his pajamas with his cup of cocoa by eight pm, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> on the um, on the testing against water thing, one thing I don't know if this will help you guys or not. Um, I did a waterproof test. I can't remember if it was shorts or gloves last year. A drying rack. Uh, in the shower and then you just turn the shower on uh, and leave it to shower on on, on your kit um, obviously make sure that the hole to get your hand into the glove for example is pointed down so it doesn't get in but it's a, a consistent way to prevent yourself from standing around for too long uh, and spraying yourself so yeah showers and drying racks uh, a useful nice. tool in the bike testers uh, equipment garage a, a difficult nice. product to keep consistent for testing is uh, I just did, or recently, some cleaning brush sets. Trying to mm. get your bike consistently muddy each go. <laughs> it's 
it's not the easiest thing to do. You have to, you know, take your brushes to the car park, fine, go ride a lap around the woods, and then, you know, mm. come back, clean it, go out for another lap, and hope you get it is equally muddy. And, uh, well, I yeah. suppose if you've got six of them, can you not just clean a sixth of your bike at a time? Like a sixth yeah. of the cassette, a sixth of the jockey wheel. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. <laughs> next, next year. Okay, thanks. That means we're going to donate you the cleaning brushes, and we're going to. No, <laughs> I'm I'm sticking with bags. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but cleaning brushes, it's hard to find the differences. Oh, that is, yeah. There are a few more things on our list um, that we're going to very quickly run over before we finish up with this podcast. But they are ones where perhaps there are manufacturer claims that are hard to prove and maybe hard to disprove in the course of, you know, if we're testing, say we're testing six products, you know, we have a, a set amount of time to do it. It might be a few months, but ultimately, you know, six products split into, a few months split into six for each product means that it's not always possible to, you know, completely wear out a product, for example. But there are things where, you know, chain lube, for example, there's a lot of claims out there for chain lube. And it makes them quite difficult to test. Likewise, bottom brackets and, and stems. You know, how do we go about testing things where there are nebulous claims as to their performance? How are we going to sort of analyse them and make sure that we give them a fair testing? Well, I guess on, on the one hand, we're kind of more fortunate when it comes to chain loops compared to the our road counterparts who, it, you know, where they're so focused on performance or, or part mm. of the discipline is so focused on performance. If a manufacturer is coming out saying we can save you X amount of Watts through using this type of chain lube, <clears throat> those guys kind of need to try and go out and prove that. Right. Mm. You know, whether they're right or wrong, but really, unless you're in a controlled lab environment, pedaling down the road and going, yeah, that's, you know, 20 extra watts it's so yeah. it's so hard to do it would be so tough um you can do as many sort of control measures as possible to try to to do that but you know i guess that's why you always need to caveat those tests with um or for us anyway we're looking more for things like does it leave the chain gunked up after you know a single ride or mm. does it wear out after this many hours you know on a really dry day things like that um rather than um really bold very specific performance claims yeah yeah they're very definitely tricky to test and you know things like bottom brackets which you'd expect to last for actually you know six eight months you know we can test them on our long-term bikes and we can give sort of an impression of those but if you want to do like a a few back to back to back again it's actually pretty tricky because you know you've got to then condense what 18 months worth of riding into not 18 months well and this is the thing i think we've all been there in the past at some point where some of us have tried to be as diligent as possible ridden something for more than a year in order to create a review off the back of it only for the brands to go actually yeah we've just changed it or we've discontinued that product yeah, and at that or point, the classic like, where you sort right. of you, you test a product and then as soon as you've written your review, everything's done and dusted. You're really happy with it. You've yeah, I've done this for a long time. You know, it's great. And then the next ride, it breaks. And you're like, ah! 
So I think we'll we'll wrap it up there. So thanks ever so much, uh, Rob and Luke, for your insights into how we get on our testing. Now, obviously, it's not a moment. We love our jobs, but it hopefully gives you a bit of an insight into some of the things that we have to think about when we're writing our reviews for bikeradar.com. Right. Thanks ever so much, Rob. And thank you, Luke. Thanks also for listening. And don't forget, if you've got any comments, questions, or suggestions, you can email us at podcast at bikeradar.com. So thanks for listening, and we'll be back with another podcast very soon. Thanks for listening to the Bike Radar Podcast. If you've not done so already, please subscribe and share with your friends or leave us a rating if you've enjoyed this episode. 